Good morning. Let me greet everybody once again to our Sunday morning digital cathedral, our time together when we get into God's Word. You know, that's a religious thing. We get into the scriptures and we find out what God's Word to us is. How's that? I'm so programmed to think that the Bible is God's Word that we automatically automatically think that connection, don't we? I'm still reprogram reprogramming my mind in a lot of areas and it just pops up every once in a while. We're into the third teaching on how sons manifest and what my desire is. I thought this was going to be a two-part teaching, but obviously I didn't get it in in two parts. I think we'll finish up the first part today and we'll get into, I should say, first section. We'll get into the second section next week. What I wanted to do with this teaching, this little short series, is to do in a very compact way to bring to your understanding um, what a son does. And second of all, how a son thinks. And I wanted this to be very practical. So don't, don't check out on me before the end of this teaching this morning because I'm going to show you from Scripture how Jesus manifested as a son of God in ways that I guarantee you, if you'll stay with me, before you click your computer or your phone off this morning when the teaching is done, you'll know how to practically manifest as a son of God. And let me say right up front, being a manifested son of God is not just for a select few people. I think some people, some folks have the idea that it's just for people that have a platform ministry or public ministry of some kind or those that are involved with crowds of people. Or That's not the case at all. Uh, you were created just like you are. Your personality, your temperament, your likes, your dislikes, you were created to demonstrate your sonship. In fact, I'll go so far, and this may stretch your thinking, I'll go so far as to say that you are manifesting in time, here on planet Earth, in time, you're predetermined, agreed upon, with the Father, destiny in Christ. I, I'm, conf I'm firmly convinced that you and I both discussed what the Father, with the Father, what our, what our destiny was, what we were to do when we came to Earth, and we agreed to it, before we ever got here. And I say that to encourage you because whatever you're doing today, especially those of you that maybe um, are retired, you think maybe, wow, gosh, my time has passed and I just, I just gonna listen to, to get knowledge. No, 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 no. You're, as long as you're breathing air and taking up space, you're still in the plan of God and you're still at a place to manifest your sonship. You were created from the time you were, you know, had any kind of understanding, which might not have been that many years ago, but from the time you had any understanding until now, you were created to be the channel through which heaven could come and funnel itself into the earth. When Jesus prayed, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, <clears throat> he was actually showing us what our, what our assignment was. And that assignment is manifested in multiples of ways. Whether you're a hamburger flipper, you sell real estate, you're a school teacher, you work in a factory, whatever you do, that, that was the plan of the Father for you that you could just live out with your personality, your temperament, your likes, your skills, your abilities, what it, what it looks like to manifest as a son of God. So this morning, positionally, you are seated with Christ in heavenly places. So you're living two, two, two dimensions at once. That's what Jesus did. Jesus lived here, but he also had an idea of his identity, so he lived in another place. 
You are seated. He took you to heaven with him. You are seated with Christ in heavenly places, which is an indication that we're to raise our consciousness. We're to see from a different perspective. We don't see from an earthly view anymore. We see from a kingdom view. And that, that kingdom view, that kingdom perspective comes from your seat next to Jesus in the heavenly places. So I, I'm probably going to say this three, four times this morning. So give me some grace because I want to drive it home. Jesus was the pattern son. When you, when you make a pattern, the idea is that you will, you will make others after the pattern. If you, if you make a, a, a pattern that you're going to, you know, stamp in steel or make other models of, the idea is that you make a pattern exactly like you want it that is a model, it's a design, it's a guide, it's a blueprint of how the rest that follow, how they will also be and how they'll also appear. So what he was sent to earth to do, what Jesus was sent to earth to do You've been sent to earth also to perform after the pattern. And the Father, when the Father sent Jesus, uh, he sent him well equipped. And the Father, when he sent you, sent you no less equipped, able, empowered than what he sent Jesus. When Jesus prayed that tremendous prayer over in John chapter 17, he, he said one sentence in the prayer that should stick out to us. John chapter 17. And let me, let me read one verse out of, that, out of that prayer for you. And I'm still having trouble with my new Bible. John chapter 17 and verse 18. Jesus said this. He said, Father, as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. Let me, let me read this again. Let this sink in. Maybe you're riding in your car or you're listening to this on a podcast on a treadmill at the gym so you don't have a Bible. So let, let this sink in. Jesus said this, Father, as you, as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. That's worthy, of some, that's worthy of some meditation and contemplation right there. When you have some time, sit down in a chair and think about how did the Father send Jesus into the world? What, 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 how did he equip him? What did he say to him? What kind of relationship did he have with Jesus? Because Jesus prayed the same way that the Father sent him into the world, he also has sent you into the world. And I'll just I'll tell you my impression. Jesus was sent, as I said a minute ago, he was sent fully equipped. He had everything he needed. He, he had an arrow. He had a quiver full of arrows. He had a gun full of bullets. There wasn't anything he lacked, uh, spirit, soul, and body. He didn't lack finances. He didn't lack anything to complete the, the mission that the Father had for him. Now, there were some things in the life of Jesus that he developed. And we find because he's the pattern, then we also are developing in our life the things that Jesus developed. And we talked about two of these so far. And I want to finish up on the second one. Then I want to get to the third one, and then when I'm done with that, I want to show you some ways from the Bible how Jesus practically manifested that you and I can walk out into our world on Monday morning and begin to do the same thing. Jesus developed two things. Jesus the man. The human man Jesus developed the mind of Christ, number one. You also are developing the mind of Christ. Your awareness, your perceptions, your attitudes are all shifting. They're shifting constantly. As you see more, you change more. And what's changing you is the mind of Christ. And that's the mind that Jesus had. When Jesus grew in wisdom, stature, and favor with God and man, I think a big part of that 
was a full understanding of what the mind of Christ was directing him to do. He was developing his sensitivity, his perception. He was developing his ability to hear the voice of the Father and respond instantaneously to the voice of the Father. And that comes as you and I develop the mind of Christ. I, I can't remember where it is in 2 Corinthians, but it says you have the mind of Christ. Second thing that Jesus got down tight, he got it down pat. He, he understood it fully, and, and we're now just getting to recognize it. The second thing, Jesus' authentic identity was divinity. Your authentic identity is divinity just as well. So we see in Jesus this, this one human being that was both fully the son of man and also the son of God. And you are complete in him. You are no less fully a son of man. You had a, you had a earthly father, son of man, and you're also the son of God. And I, I know we, we have this thing, we, and, I, I, and we have to get over it. We have to get over it. The mind of Christ will help us get over it. And that is thinking that Jesus had this special position or relationship with the Father that we could never have. I understand he's the firstborn among many brethren. So let's establish this. If you have more than one sibling, do you think that firstborn sibling genetically is superior to sibling number two, three, four, five, however many, however many children you have? That firstborn is a firstborn. There, there'll never be another one that takes, takes the place of the firstborn. I remember my, my father telling me that I was his first, firstborn child and I, I had a place in his heart that, that uh, no one else could really take because I was first. I understand that. Jesus was the firstborn. But we were not genetically designed or launched into the earth in an inferior position to Jesus. We have just as much divinity. Oh boy, this, some of you are going to click me off right now. We have just as much divinity coursing through our veins as what the man Jesus did. Jesus was 100% human, 100% divine. We were placed in him before the foundation of the world. So when Jesus came to earth, in effect, we came with him, right? We were crucified with him, buried with him, resurrected with him, ascended with him. In the, in the Father's plan, every son, every daughter was placed within the first son, and the first son demonstrated for us in open fashion exactly what a son should look like and how a son should live. So you, you're no less than what he is. Doesn't, doesn't the scripture say as he is, so are we in this world. That is from John, 1 John chapter 4, verse 17, reveals the pattern. As he is, so are we. As the pattern is, as he is, so are we. No less. Didn't, there's not a little asterisk beside that where you look down at the bottom of the Bible in a footnote and it says, that, you're, that means you're 80% of what he was. No, as he is, so are we in this world. Now, that, elevate your consciousness, get your perceptional higher, come up with me this morning. Grace will let you do that. Grace is not gonna hinder your walk or your steps. Come on, get up there. See yourself as he is in this present world. And that, that pattern developed in three ways again. He had the mind of Christ. He had authentic identity. He knew who he had been before the foundation. And you have both the mind of Christ and you have that same authentic identity. Now, before we get into number three and reveal how he fully manifested 
the things that we can do also. I want to take you back to that very first teaching three weeks ago. And I want to point out, it wasn't one of the main points, but I talked to you about the overriding attitude and motivation that was in the life of Jesus. Because as, as the patterned son, he demonstrated this, so you and I need to pick up on it as well. And it was that verse from Matthew chapter 20 and verse 28, where Jesus said very simply, he said, the son of man has not come to be served, but to serve and to give, to pour out his life as a ransom for many. Over in Philippians chapter two, uh, Paul, Paul again said in, in long about verse eight, it says that Jesus thought of that robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation. He poured himself out and became a man. The word is kenosis. I mean, he's, he, he voluntarily emptied himself of any advantage that he had when he took on human flesh. Any limitation that Jesus had would be the limitation we have. But if there was no limitation to Jesus, then there's no limitation to us. Now, I, I, I believe firmly, and I'm not, I, I'm not going to get into being legal about it, give you a scripture, but I believe that when we drop this earth suit, that we will be more alive and more perceptive and more conscious than we are with the, with the drag and the limitation of this fleshly body. So any, limit, any limitation that Jesus had in an earthly body, he voluntarily gave up any advantage he had before he took a flesh body. He emptied himself and took on the form of a man. All right. And this man that Jesus took the form of, he said he did not come to be served. He came to serve and to give his life a ransom for, for many. So every, every purpose of every son has that same overriding motivation. I'm here and you're here not to be served, but to serve. Now, ego pushes back against that. And ego pushes back against it because it says, I've only got so many years to live do you remember, there's been a little saying that youth used, and my grandson used to used to use this on his Facebook, and I didn't I didn't know what it meant. It was YOLO, Y O L O. Finally, one time I asked him because he, he he said his name, and then his middle name was like YOLO. I said, "What what the heck is YOLO?" He says, "You only live once." So in other words, you want to grab all the gusto you can, get everything you can for your life, live it to the fullest, don't miss anything because you only live once. That's how ego will push back against serving people, of, of living the life of a servant. But there's, there's a scripture that really freed me up. Now, let me say before I get to that scripture, that's your destiny is to serve. It's to help people. It's to minister to people. Now, don't get nervous about that. Don't get upset <laughs> because it, that serving is going to become the greatest delight of your life. It'll become your joy. It's not going to be a drudgery or a have to or, man, I'm, I'm giving my time. I only got one life, only got so many years, and here I'm giving it out to people that don't appreciate my efforts. Uh, they use me and they walk away. Think of all the times Jesus was used. And he never varied off of his confession that he came to serve and not to be served. Let me emphasize to you, that's going to be a joy. That's, that's going to be something that's going to make you happy in life. And I know that there's a verse of scripture that absolutely set me free on some things. It's Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13. 
Philippians chapter 2, verse 13 says this. I've read it a lot of times, but let, the, let this bring you free from the feeling that, man, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't know about this serving thing. Philippians 2, 13 says that it is God who works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. If he designed you, wired you, hooked you up to fulfill a certain task, then that task is going to become your will. He works in you that will that you and he agreed on that you would come and fulfill. And not only does he put his will within you, he gives you the ability and the power to do that will. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to break down like this, that you're serving other people is going to be something that, that you enjoy, that you like to do. And when you, when you step out of, out of this earth's dimension of time and you suddenly realize, man, I have all eternity to live. I'm not confined to this 60, 70, 80 years, whatever, however many years you have on earth. You're not confined to that, to YOLO. Because <laughs> you don't live only once. You live forever. So ego stops pushing back when all of a sudden you see your life not on a, on a timeline, but you see it circular as the Father sees time so that there's never an end to your life. There's never, there's never an end to your life. When Jesus came, he put on full display what sonship should like, what it should look like. So here's, here's let me capsulize it for you. Positionally, he was a son. He knew that experientially he was a servant. So he looked like a servant, but inwardly he knew he was a son. And he came to fulfill the will of the Father in his life, the, the, the will that he and the Father agreed upon when he came to earth. When Jesus came, he knew that he was living out his life to be given as a ransom for many. So here's what happens. This mind of Christ reveals our original identity, and it, it reveals it in layers. You, you find, you'll, as you continue to go, you're gonna find more and more coming back to your memory, which is what revelation is. Revelation is not something brand new. Revelation is your recalling who you have always been. It's, it's your recalling before time how the Father designs you. And it's new to us, we forgot, we've had amnesia. So to us, it's revelation, but it's really not revelation, it's a recall. Your original identity will eat up this idea of, of death and the fear of death that ego likes to voice to us, that self likes to voice, so that it has a hold of us and won't let go. But Jesus made us, made us a promise in John chapter 11, verse, verse 56, or 25. John chapter 11, let me just turn back to John. I want, I want to read this for you because I think this, this plays into the attitude and the mind of Christ that we're to have. John chapter 11 and verse 25. Jesus said this, John eleven twenty five. 25. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Zoe, I am the resurrection. We resurrected with him, so he, we're the resurrection. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. So by appearance, it may look like you're dying, but you don't die. You live. He that believes in me will live even if he dies. Isn't that what happened to Lazarus? Lazarus died, but he still lived. Watch verse 26. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never, ever, ever, never die. 
Now, ego will come and say, man, I don't, I, I don't get that. I, I don't buy into that. And ego will put a fear of death. Ego will make you squeeze all you can out of the few years you think you got left. It'll make you want to retire way before you probably should retire. A lot of you that are watching me, listen to me, you've retired, but you just need to refire with the things I'm telling you about manifesting as a son of God and turn it loose, man. You, you have experience, you've got background, you, you have come through tests and trials in life, you've got a lot to pour out. And with what I'm gonna say at the end of this teaching, you're gonna see how it all fits together. The only death you'll ever experience is what the carnal mind tries to palm off on you. That's the only death you're going to ever experience is what your carnal mind tells you. Paul said in Romans chapter 8 and verse 6, he said to be carnally minded is death. When you have a carnal mindset, it always feeds death to you. But to be spirit minded is life and peace. So the, 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 the mind of Christ is void of carnal death thinking. When you, when you develop this mind of Christ, you know, if the love of God floods the mind of Christ, and perfect love casts out fear. When, when you don't fear death, when you're not looking at death sideways like, man, I'm, I'm leery about this. I gotta do what I gotta do to save my life. When, you're not, when death no longer has any fear for you, you're unstoppable. There's nothing the carnal mind can throw into your path to try to dissuade you from your God-given purpose. That's why, I'm so, that's why I harp so much, and I did about a 30-part series on identity as divinity because identity as divinity keeps you spirit-minded. It doesn't give place for death thinking. It doesn't give place to that carnal mindset. So our, our, our divine nature lives within us, and as, as it's developed, as our identity as divinity expands and explodes, you know what it does? It swallows up this thing of death. And we, we come to realize that what Jesus said in John eleven twenty six 26 is absolutely true. We believe in him, therefore we never die. I want, to, I want to encourage you with that today. You're never going to die. You're going to step from the kitchen into the dining room. That's, that's the crossover. But you're going to be more conscious and more alive than you are today. I, I, I guarantee you. That's how Jesus lived. That's what fueled his purpose. That's, that's what kept him motivated. And so the same exact way that he manifested, you're going to manifest also. So let me say it again. Jesus is the pattern. He's, he's the guide. He's the blueprint. He's the model. He's the design. And how it unfolded in him is also going to unfold in you. You're going to develop the mind of Christ. Jesus developed it. Authentic identity is going, to, is going to begin to swell up within you until you say, I'm no longer just a mere man. I'm not walking as a mortal man any longer. I'm walking as a son that is filled with divinity, and I know my position. I know my place. Now, you can manifest as a servant like Jesus, but you know your position. Absolutely. He's the pattern. Romans chapter 8 and verse 29, Paul said that those that God foreknew, which is all of us, he also predestined to be conformed, molded to the image of the first son. So the, let me say it again. The process of Jesus is your process. The process is developing the mind of Christ. It's establishing authentic identity. Then you remember last week I talked to you about your identity is going to be challenged. As soon as Jesus' identity was established at his water baptism, that's my beloved son whom I'm well pleased. No miracles, no signs, no wonders, nothing to his 
his credit, he was who he was. He was a son by position, not because of, of acts and earning. But as soon as that was established, the Spirit led him into the wilderness. It was, it was challenged. Spirit led him in. He came out in the power of the Spirit. So when your identity is challenged, you come out of the challenge different than when you went in. And it will, your, your identity will be challenged. I'm not going to get into that. I, I spent a lot of time on that last week. So if you're wondering about that, go back and listen to last Sunday morning's teaching. Jesus the man. And you, the man, you, the woman, are ready to, to manifest. Are you ready to manifest? You're, you're ready to show your Christness by doing and saying what the Father says and what the Father does. I want us to discover one more thing before I get into the practice of, of the teaching this morning. All right, so far we've discovered that the pattern son developed the mind of Christ and authentic identity, and it was challenged. He came out in the power of the Spirit. You also follow the same pattern, the same process. You've developed the mind of Christ. You know your authentic identity. You're probably undergoing, if you haven't undergone a challenge of your identity, if you are the son of God, why'd you lose your job? If you are the son of God, why are you sick? If you are the son of God, see, it's always a challenge to identity. That's what it was to Jesus. If you are the son of God, turn the stones into bread. If you are the son of God, cast yourself down from the peak of the temple, the angels will catch you. If you are, if you are, if you are. Jesus never argued with it because he knew who he was. When you know who you are, you don't have to argue with it. You don't have to put up with it. You don't have to debate it anymore. All right? So one more thing that Jesus had that you have also. Some of you have never recognized this in your life, but you have it as fully as Jesus had it. Luke chapter 4. Luke cha chapter 4. And let's look at verse... Uh, Let's look at verse 18. Now remember what's just happened in chapter three. Chapter three, he went through the, through the challenge of his identity. So then his, the fame of him, once that happened, began to spread. It's amazing how word of who you are gets around when you begin to stand for sonship, authentic identity. The things that we teach, it's amazing. You start standing for it, your Christian friends are gonna recognize something's going on in your life. And word's going to get around. Now, that may create some rejection. And that rejection in itself is a great challenge to your authentic identity. Can you handle the rejection? If you are who you say you are, right, they're not going to agree maybe. That can be a challenge to your identity. So Jesus comes out of the wilderness. He goes back. He goes to church on the Sabbath. He goes to the synagogue, as was his custom. And in verse 18, he picks up the book in verse 17 and reads to them, and he reads to them this verse. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. Have you recognized the Spirit of God on you in your life? Have you sensed those times that, I mean, it, you just know that the Spirit of God is all over you. You're driving, you're driving down the street. You're going to work. You're going to a grocery store. You're not even thinking about spiritual things. And all of a sudden, it's like out of nowhere, you just, you're, you know somebody's in a car with you. It's not a visible being, but it's a presence. And you're very, you're very keenly aware of, of the Spirit of God that's speaking to you. Sometimes you break down and cry or you'll laugh. You'll react in some way. I, I, maybe when you hear a song, sometimes if you're listening to music or whatever, and, and the Spirit of God just comes on you. And that's what Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me for a purpose. 
The Spirit of the Lord is on you for a purpose because he anointed me. And here's what he anointed Jesus to do. Here comes his manifestation. Preach the gospel to the poor, number one. Number two, he sent me to proclaim release to the captives. Number three, recovery of sight to the blind. Number four, set it free those that are oppressed. Number five, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. So the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. There should be six things there. Preach the gospel to the poor, proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to blind, set uh, the oppressed and proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. But before I get into that, I want you to notice that he was equipped to do those things. It is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Now here's the working of the do part. You know what the will is. The will are those things that I just read. Now, here's the empowerment to do it. It's called the anointing. An anointing is not this mystical Casper the Friendly Ghost <laughs> kind of stuff that just falls on you like rain and fog. An anointing is a divine enablement to do what you cannot do naturally. And Jesus the man recognized that what was set before him, he was not able to fulfill it naturally. I recognize every time I sit down and talk to, the, to you at the Digital Cathedral, I, rec I recognize my weakness and my inability to communicate, to say the right words, to drive the points home like I should. I recognize that. And so I have to sit back, lean back into the arms of the Father and trust in anointing to do that. If what I'm saying does not carry a divine enablement to resonate with your life, then it's not going to accomplish anything. I hope that what I say to you carries a lot more weight than what Don Keithley puts on it. When I come to you at the Digital Cathedral, whether it's Sunday or Wednesday, I feel like, okay, I'm bringing exactly what the Father wants me to talk about. I don't feel like it's my message. My, my thoughts did not go into the message. I didn't get them uh, from me, from my head. Uh, I get most a lot of my messages just by meditating and thinking, and I just write thoughts down, then I put them into points and put some scriptures to it and build the flesh around the skeleton. But I first need to get that, I, I, to begin with, I need that, that, that unction. I need that unction to function. I, I need that, Thing to come on me that I can't explain that inspires me. And once I get inspired, I, I can put it together pretty quick, but it's getting the inspiration. And it's not anything you can force to happen. See, the anointing that Jesus is talking about is not something he just went around picking people and saying, okay, here's what I'm going to do. There was a direction from the Father that came from the mind of Christ. Now, when he faced those situations, he had to know his authentic identity or he would have backed up from it because you don't feel... You don't feel equipped within yourself to do it. That's as simple as I can put it to you. I, I'm not equipped in myself to come to you and, and do what I do. Because essentially, I'm, I'm fairly quiet. I'm kind of an extrovert, uh, introvert unless I get around a lot of people. I'm very comfortable. Then I cut loose a little bit. But I don't feel at all within myself the ability to come and do what I do. So I know that it's God that's working in me both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So I, this is the most fun I have in life. This is the greatest thing that I could do. This is what I want to do. This is what I like to do. This is what I enjoy to do. If I just sat out by the pool every day for eight or nine hours or just went to the mall, I, that would not 
cut it for me. Now, it may cut it for you. If you're retired and you just, you have a little, like to fish or whatever, that's fine. Do that. That's, that's the predetermined, agreed upon plan between you and the Father that would be an avenue for you to express your sonship. No problem with that. No problem. We're all different. What is it they say? Different strokes for different folks. So the anointing that you have, and, and we read over in 1 John a couple of times that you have an anointing. And you don't have need that anybody teach you. But the Holy Spirit that resides within you, he will teach you. Now sometimes I get taught by the Holy Spirit in me from the Holy Spirit in you. There are times I get on Facebook and I'll read a post and I go, wow, why didn't I think of that? That is really powerful. And the spirit that is in the, the poster and my spirit, there's a connection. There's, there's, a, there's a, you know, a, a frequency that's developed and I tap in to what they do. In fact, I've read Facebook posts that have inspired a whole series of messages just because it explodes within me and I'm able to, to turn it around. So the mind of Christ, authentic identity, Identity challenged, come out in the power of the Spirit, and there's an anointing that will rest on you to do. And there are several ways that are listed out here that Jesus manifested sonship. This is not hard. It's not mystical. It's not strange. It's not of another world. Manifesting sonship, let me put, let me put a very simple definition on it. Manifesting sonship is revealing the heart of the Father to people wherever there is a need. What you, the mind of Christ is simply seeing through the eyes of the Father. That's what the mind of Christ is. You see people, you see situations, circumstances through, through the eyes of the Father. And that's, that's, a, that's an ability and skill that can be honed through sensitivity and practice, right? So... Wherever there is a need, that's, that's where you can begin to manifest. And these, these areas, this preaching the gospel to the poor, healing brokenhearted, liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, liberty to the oppressed, the acceptable year of the Lord, those six things. This is how Jesus manifested. Everything that he did, when, when it says that he went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil, the doing good that he did and you can, you can do a study on this. I've not done an exhaustive study, so I'm not, I'm not gonna say uh, absolutely for sure, but I think that you're gonna find out that the good that he did always fit one of these six. Always fit one of these six. The world is full of these six categories. When it says in Romans 8, 19 that, that all of creation, one version says all of creation is standing on tiptoe expectancy looking for the manifestation of the sons of God, the revealing of the sons of God. The reason they're looking is because they're stuck in these six, these five things plus proclaiming the acceptable year of the Lord, which I'll explain in just a minute. But the world, the world is stuck in these things. First thing Jesus said, let, let me give you just a, a brief thumbnail, uh, Cliff Notes version of these, of these things that Jesus said he was anointed to do. I could spend an hour on each of these because they're worthy of an hour of study. But my, my intent right now in bringing this compact study on how sons act, section one, how sons think, section two, which we'll get to next week, is to just bring it to, into a very tight focus. I'm not shooting a shotgun. I'm firing a rifle. I want to bring it to a tight focus so that you can see how a manifested son of, son of God acts 
and how he thinks. So as you pick the pattern up, you can, you can see the guide, the blueprint of how he's molding you to fulfill your pre-greed upon destiny that you and the Father said, this is why I'm sending you to earth. First thing he said is to preach the gospel to the poor. That's the first thing he said, anointing me to preach the gospel to the poor. A poor person is not necessarily poor financially, although they can be. To be in poverty means that you're lacking something. You have a shortage in some area. Uh, and, and when that happens, you can pick up on people that have a shortage in an area because they feel like life has defeated them, that there's no hope. Like the harder they try, the behinder they get. I'm working three jobs and I still can't pay the rent. And at some point, they just throw the towel in. So poverty, poor, poor people, not necessarily finances, it shows up in any area where they have a lack. So you run in and their hands are hanging down. They've thrown the towel in. So you come. Now remember, all this is done under anointing. This is not done in your strength, your power, your words, your bright little intellect and logic. It comes from words that you speak that carry the Zoe, that carry the life of God into the, into the life of a person. So you're, you're like the hose. The Father has passed through you into someone else. But really it's stronger than that. You have the mind of Christ. So you are speaking out of the heart of the Father himself, which is your heart. You understand that you've come not to be served, but to serve. All these areas are serving. All these areas are serving. And when you start doing this, I'm going to tell you what, you're going to get so high and get so enthused on it, you'll look for more. That's why Jesus went about every day. He's looking, up. He's looking for who the Father is pointing to. He walks, he walks uh, into an area where there's a lot of sick people, and the Father directs him to one and says to the guy, would you like to be healed? Well, the guy's been by this, this porch with this water in it that when supposedly it moves the first guy in it gets healed but if you're really broken down you're never going to be the first guy in there somebody's always going to beat you in so jesus says, do you really want to be healed the guy says of course i want to be healed so jesus says, stand up the guy was poor the guy was poor in spirit he he'd given up he'd thrown in the towel his hands were hanging down jesus came and lifted him up began to encourage him began to give a message of hope and wellness and soundness that's, that's how you approach people that are poor. Then he said, I've come to heal the brokenhearted. <sighs> Boy, we've got so many brokenhearted people today with all the stuff going on in the world today. A brokenhearted person is a person that is devastated by the blows of life. I mean, they're shattered. They've lost, they've lost their job. They've worked someplace 25 years. All of a sudden, the company is cut back for whatever reason. They've lost their job. Or, or maybe it's maybe it's their spouse walked out the door. They couldn't believe it. They had no indication that this was going to happen. Or a child died. How about this one? They've been a member of the church for 20 years. All of a sudden, they get a, a, a revelation of grace and the love of God. They begin to tell people. And the pastor calls them and says, look, we don't believe it that way. If that's what you believe, you're going to have to leave the church. So now you've got a choice. Your identity's been challenged. So you leave the church and the church has now rejected you. Friendships that you have built up for over the years that you went to lunch with, that you buddied with, they, they don't know you, they don't call you, they don't text you, they unfriend you on Facebook, they totally have set you aside. 
That's somebody that's brokenhearted. We need to pull up alongside of them under an anointing and let them know Jesus is walking through every hurt they'll ever encounter in life. He's not off riding around on some cumulonimbus cloud while you go through all the dirt. He comes into the deepest, darkest parts of our life and he walks with us. And we need to let them know that Jesus is feeling everything they feel, the hurt, the rejection, the loss, the brokenhearted. Then he said, I've come to, to set at liberty the captives. My goodness, how many people are captive? They're in bondage to something. Every place you turn, somebody's in bondage to, 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 to drugs. They're in bondage to uh, pornography. They're in bondage to religion, to religion. They're just, they're in bondage. And so you have an anointing. You start removing those chains off of them. And it's not casting the devil out of them. It's not coming against evil spirits and forces. It's you beginning to get down there and assure them that the Father still loves them, even though they're captive. It's, it's the goodness of God that will change their mind and lead them out of whatever they're in. It's not you, it's not you hooting and hollering in tongues over them in a loud voice, commanding, demanding, and you know, shaking your fist. It's you, it's you assuring them of the Father's love of acceptance, letting them know that even though they're they're, they're snared by this bondage, they're still included. That when Jesus died on the cross, they were included. They're not excluded that God hasn't left them, that there's never been any separation. People that are, are captive feel so separated from God and under an anointing, I keep reminding, this is not you. This is not your strength. That's not your power. You speak under a divine enablement that reaches beyond what you're able to do. He said, I've come to give recovery of sight to the blind. Whole lot more people spiritually blind and physically blind. You're the light of the world. And the scripture says, what is John chapter one about verse nine, that Jesus is the light that lights every man that comes into the world. So every man's got a little flicker. You're coming with a big light. You know what you can do? Under an anointing, you can flip the light switch for them. All of a sudden, their whole body's filled with light. Their consciousness, their awareness, their perception. All of a sudden, they get it. They see it. You have just caused the blind to see. He said, I've come to set at liberty those that are oppressed. Every, every one of these areas, man, are the, 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 the cities and the highways and byways are, are chuck full of people that fit into these categories, the oppressed. People that are prisoners of their own mind, they're depressed, they're oppressed, they're full of anxiety, full of fear, doubt, unbelief. Uh, uh, they think they're going to hell. And you can... You, 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 can, you can allow them to know that they haven't done too much to be forgiven. You are able to set the oppressed at, at liberty. You're able to set them free. You're able to speak words. And just by the demonstration, your presence, just your presence will have a freeing effect on people that are oppressed. And he said, sixth of all, he said, I've come to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. This is number six. First, preach gospel to the poor, heal the brokenhearted, liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, liberty to the oppressed. He saves the best for last. He says to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. We should shout this from the housetops. That's a direct reference to the year of Jubilee in the Old Testament. The year of Jubilee was a year when all debts were canceled, all properties were returned to the original owners. It's like everybody got a fresh start on the year of Jubilee. And so we need to shout from the housetops 
Everybody has a fresh start. Everybody has a brand new beginning. Everybody is looked upon favorably by the Father. Everybody has been received. Everybody is fully reproved. There's room at the banquet table for you. For, so you see that chair over there? Pull that chair up and the feast has been prepared. Eat all you can eat. This is the acceptable year of the Lord. That's the ministry of reconciliation. That's the ministry that kind of covers all, all six of these. These six are the fundamentals they're the very foundations of manifesting as the Son of God. Jesus was all about these six. These six are the gospel. And the thought just came to my mind. I kind of hesitated there. But wow, the world is full of people that fit these six categories. And these are the people that are open to the gospel. You find somebody that's poor, brokenhearted, a captive, that's spiritually blind, that's oppressed, they're open. In Romans 8, 19, when he says all creation is looking for the revealing of the sons of God, people that are looking are the ones that are ensnared in these six. You can't get out of it. And so this is, this is Matthew chapter 20, verse 28. This is you serving, not being served. All of those six are, are services. They're, they're what you do for other people. And, and what you're doing, you're, you're giving out of yourself. You're giving out of what you have developed. Remember there's three areas I told you you developed that Jesus developed, he's the pattern. You're giving out of the mind of Christ. You're giving out of your authentic identity. You're giving out of the anointing that you possess. Now, I gotta address this because I think most of you, when you thought about manifesting as a son, you thought about signs, wonders, and miracles. You thought, man, a son of God walks on water. Son of God takes five loaves, two fish, and feeds 20,000 people. A son of God uh, sees the disciples out on, on, on the middle of the storm, and he walks out, and he says, peace be still, and the weather obeys him. You, and you thought, man, that is so far beyond me. <laughs> I, I have no idea what, how that's ever going to take place. Let me give you an understanding here. As, as Jesus did these six, the signs and the wonders follow. Isn't that what it says? Is it Mark 16, 17, that these signs will follow those that believe? Believers, sons, are, are, are busy setting people free, bringing sight to the blind, proclaiming the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, again, I have not done an exhaustible study. But I, I noticed in a quick study that I went through, I looked at the leper, the blind beggar, the woman with the issue of blood, the disciples in a storm, a man let down through the roof. And in every case, the sign, the wonder, and the miracle came out of Jesus functioning in those six areas that I just gave you. So our concentration doesn't need to be on signs, wonders, and miracles. Our concentration as manifested sons of God needs to be on those six from Luke chapter 4, verse uh, 18 and 19. That's where our emphasis needs to be. That's what your destiny's about. That's what you agreed to come to earth to do under an anointing with a full realization of your authentic identity as divinity endued with the mind of Christ. That's what you're to be about. And as you do those things, as we do those things, then the signs and the wonders and the miracles happen as, as the, as the, the effect that we're not able to do ourselves, but come through us under the anointing. 
So not only does the anointing give us the words to speak and the actions to follow through with, it also provides us with the signs and the wonders and the miracles. So if you have the choice of bringing liberty to the captive or just thinking you want to go out and walk on water just for the fun of walking on water, always set the oppressed free. Always preach the gospel to the poor and the very desires of your heart, which are the desires of God's heart to meet that person's need, they will manifest. So let me, let me just finish up today. I've, I've gone long enough and I think I've got my point home. Jesus is the pattern. You fulfilled all the pattern. You're coming through it. The ways that Jesus manifested as a son, you, you can shut your phone off and do all of those things that I just taught you. You can do every single one of those under an anointing, knowing who you are, living out of the mind of Christ. So let me, let me just say this in, 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 in conclusion. Let's point forward to what is coming that we can do. Let me read it again. Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. I want you just to say, say to yourself, you, you know, you're probably sitting with your wife or your husband, you don't want to get embarrassed, but just say to yourself, spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me. He's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those that are oppressed, and to preach the acceptable, favorable year of reconciliation to the Lord. I'll tell you what, let's willingly manifest this week. Let's keep our eyes open for somebody that's in one of those six. You don't have to, pu you don't have to push in, you don't have to make yourself overbearing. It's not like you have to whip a check, chick track out of your pocket, a turn or burn track and say, you know what, you better come to decision for Jesus today or you're going to hell. It's not like that. It's just out of a natural flow of conversation and relationship. That's how, how, how Jesus did it. He, he, he went to Zacchaeus' house for dinner and out of having fellowship and dinner, Zacchaeus was, was fully enlightened as to who Jesus was. He walked with two disciples on the road to Emmaus. They didn't even recognize the resurrected Lord, but he just ministered to them and built such fellowship and relationship that they didn't want him to leave. They wanted him to spend the night. That's how it works. That's really how it works. So this week, let's you and I willingly manifest as the Son of God. You can do this. Now, next Sunday morning, I'm going to take up the, the, the second section of this, which is how does the Son of God think? Now, I've shown you how we act. I want to show you how we think so that by the end of next week, you'll know what to do and what the thought process is. Are you with me? All right, Sunday morning or uh, Wednesday night, we're going to pick this up, go a little bit different direction with it. Next Sunday morning, we'll take on how a son of God thinks. Hope you're with me next Sunday morning. Don't miss these teachings. I love it when you come over to the, uh, the, the, the premiere showing at 10 o'clock central time here uh, through donkeithley.com. If you come over, just click on the big red red ball, it'll take you right to the teaching. And if you come to the premiere, you can talk and comment back and forth, which is great. And then also when the video is over, if you could come down at the bottom and make a comment about the teaching, and then when I put it on Facebook and Don Keithley Ministries, if you'd be so kind as to say something that you picked up out of the teaching, a lot of people before they're gonna watch a 50 minute video, 50 minute teaching, they wanna know what the heck they're getting into. So if you have something that spoke to you, make sure you express it to somebody else. It's part of manifesting, part of showing yourself as a son of God. There's gonna be oppressed, there's gonna be people that are, are depressed, there's gonna be people that are in bondage that click 
click on this and go, I don't know, if I, I don't want to listen to another preacher, but if you say something that's encouraging or what spoke to you, it's going to strike them and they'll listen as well. That, that's, I'm not asking you to do it to build me up. I'm asking you to do it so that we can reach more people, so that the anointing will touch more lives. And the anointing which you have resides in you and it's going to spread to multiples of people. Thank you for loving on me. Thank you for supporting me every every month with your gifts. It means a lot. It really means a lot to me. You, you don't know how much I'm encouraged when, when I see that you got some skin in the game. It's like you're pulling with me. You're in here tugging with me. And we're doing this thing together. It's fun to be part of what God's doing all over the world. And I love this message of sonship because it includes all of us. I love all of you. Thank you for being part of a worldwide digital I want to say church, but I don't want to add church to it. A worldwide digital family. How's that? We'll see you next time on the Digital Cathedral.